0: Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone. We'll be right back after this.
1: Okay, we are back with more of our show and uh, our next segment here. So, listen. How many of you remember this was back not that long ago, around 2016, 17, somewhere along in there? Remember this this very controversial uh, organization called Nexium, N X I V M. Remember them? Yeah, some people described it as as a pyramid scheme. Some people describe them as a sex trafficking operation. Some people call them a sex cult. And HBO, Netflix, uh, maybe some others, they have done movies based upon this organization that was founded by Keith Rainier and Nancy Salzman. Well, it was uh, it was qu- quite controversial because now. Keith Rainier is in prison somewhere in Arizona, and Nancy Salzman, she, I think she is also in prison in another state, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there with with her. But anyway, yeah, this was uh, a very large international uh, organization that was accused, and, you know, Keith Rainier was convicted of federal crimes, including sex trafficking, forced labor, and racketeering. Well, our guest—that's where our guest fits in. Our guest is uh, a young man by the name of Sunil Chakra Chakra Vorti. I hope I'm not misspelling his uh, mispronouncing his last name, Chakra And he had nothing to do with any of, <clears throat> excuse me, of this. I need a cough drop here. He is. Um, I'll tell you how he he's has planted himself with this. He is a Harvard college grad, uh, has a degree in mathematics. Uh, also he speaks, uh, fluent Mandarin Chinese. He's a first generation American in an Indian family. Very smart young man. So, um, the way he is got into all of this, Sunil was, he took some courses, um, uh, through a portion of the now infamous Nexium it was uh a, through something i think they had a branch of their organization called ESP and these were courses you know they were about emotional intelligence helping people to understand themselves better you know working on your your um you know, stress level, work stress, you know, very, very innocent sounding courses. So that's how our guest uh, first was introduced to all of this. Now he himself, our guest had no involvement, none whatsoever with any of the scandalous uh, federal charges that they were, the two founders were later convicted of. Uh, He was not even anywhere close to any of this. But the way he got involved, He followed the trial, attended some of the uh, trial hearings and the court case as such. And um, he also has met with Keith Rainier while he's been in prison. They have had conversations. Uh, Again, they did not know each other at all before all of the trials and all of the convictions at all. So now the reason our guest is connected to all of this is because in the opinion of our guest, um, he feels like that there was some injustice done to Keith and that Keith has been convicted based upon moral revulsions rather than actual crimes. And again, that is in the opinion of our guest uh, that we're about to talk to, Sunil. So anyway, it's A bit of a long story. I don't know all of the information, but Sunil does. And so he's going to uh, answer some questions as to why why are you trying to, I won't say help, because, you know, all this has been said and done now. But I mean, why be connected and talking to this guy, Keith Rainier, while he's in prison? Why take upon yourself any of this? Why Why do you want to be connected to this at all when you don't have to? Is it for money? Is it for attention? Is Why? Why, why, why? So we're going to ask him that. Sunil uh, will be joining us in about 60 seconds here to see where is this going and why is this going? I'm just kind of curious. It's like this young man, he's a very handsome, very smart young man, a Harvard grad, mathematics at that. So uh, a lot to unfold and unpack here. So uh, we pre-recorded this interview earlier. And so, let's roll it. Uh, this is my recent chat with Sunil, Chakravorty. Chakravorti. And um let's find out as to why he has uh, become affiliated. I guess that's the word we might for now use uh, with this whole Keith Raniere, formerly of uh, the next VM organization. So let's take a listen. And we'll hopefully get some answers here to see where it's going. So let's roll it. Neil, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. We are all prepared on my end. Let's just put it like that. (laughs) Okay,
0: great. I'm glad to hear.
1: Okay, great. Let me start by asking you, what is the correct pronunciation of your last name? It's um, Chakravorty. Chakravorti. Okay. I'll practice with that. I'll get it right. <laughs> so for now, I'll just be safe. And I, I know that I can pronounce Sunil correctly. Yep. Okay. Well, Mr. Sunil, all right. Here we are. Um, lots to, to unpack here. We don't have time to, of course, unpack everything, but, um, want to start off by Asking you, of course, the uh, NXIVM, some people call it a cult, some people say it's not. Uh, how are you connected to this whole, uh, scandal, this whole headline making entertainment from HBO making situation? How are you connected to this?
0: Sure. So I, I became, uh, more connected to the post. Scandal than the pre standal but basically, um, just for a little background, Nexium was a you know personal development, self-help group outside of um, Albany, or operating in Albany for about 20 years, and they had a number of umbrella companies, or it was an umbrella company of some subsidiaries. One was called Executive Success Programs, which was an executive coaching, personal coaching program. So my bra- my background is in technology. I was running a startup in New York City in 2016 and this was about a year before the what you call the scandal um kind of broke out the media scandal and i had been taking some classes in uh in new york city and so um i wasn't particularly involved or close to any of the the subject matter of the scandal but i was more of a kind of outside observer but had a little bit of inside um access and, and uh understanding that when i saw it you know sort of happen over that next year I had sold my business and kind of went to, had some free time and went to the trial. Uh, I was only planning to stick around for um, a day or so, and then I ended up staying for the entirety of the trial and was just amazed by what I saw and the discrepancy between the headlines and what was being presented, and then eventually got involved in helping the the defense team, and I'm now the power of attorney of the, the defendant, Keith Renier, who is the central character and devout the founder of Nexium.
1: And so, uh, when was the last time you talked to Keith? I understand you you stay in touch with him.
0: So um, we have. uh, So I've been in touch with him. Uh, He's been able to call me probably since a couple months after his conviction, when we first started talking uh, more, you know, on the phone. Um, And up until like last year, we were able to have phone access. Um, And then after we filed a a motion for a new trial um, based on new evidence that the key evidence in the case was manipulated and fabricated, that, you know, within a day or so after, I was blocked from his list, and he hasn't been able to call me since in almost a year.
1: Are you able to correspond with each other by mail, you know, traditional mail, or what? Um, There's
0: there's attorneys that, that have contacts, and since I'm the is power of attorney and manager of the legal team, um, I do coordinate with his attorney, but you know direct contact uh, uh we're not uh not allowed
1: okay and so let's go for the since we are primarily we are an entertainment show, let's go for the entertainment aspect of this okay the um the the h b o series uh, yeah. what did you think of both seasons so far what do you what were your opinion about this
0: well i you know I have a, a different perspective than maybe most who watched it. I think when people watch documentaries, they don't necessarily know all the raw materials and what goes into it. And, um, you know, my opinion is that this was uh, one very specific uh presentation and, you know, had a lot of selective editing and kind of focused mainly on the salacious stuff and kind of sift over some of the key... Fundamental facts of what went on. How in this last season, which was about the trial, they made some huge, huge omissions that I think would have changed the users, the the viewers' perspective on a lot of things. So, I mean, there's just a number of things that
1: that don't make a lot of sense. Such as what's wh- being presented. Okay. Sorry. So, such as what are some things you said, are, are yeah. disagreeing so with? I it. think the way the
0: way that it it's presented, the way that I, I took it from the documentary. um, was, you know, there's this horrible guy, Keith Raniere, and he's this manipulative guy, and all this horrible stuff and is allegedly going on, and no one is, there's no violence of any kind, he's got 120 years with maybe three or four testifying alleged victims, um, and 120 years for, it doesn't make a lot of sense, Alison Mack, who's the Smallville actress, who is allegedly his you know, second in command in the sorority um, compared to 120 years, he gets three years. So that discrepancy doesn't make a lot of sense. Then there's Nancy Salzman, who's kind of the central uh, person on the quote-unquote inside in the second season, and they never really explain, you know, why she pleaded guilty, what her charge was. You know, in all of the co-defendants code uh, that are featured in there, like Claire Bronstein, Allison Max, Nancy Salzman, Lauren Salzman, and Steve Erie and Kathy Russell, they were all kind of Together in presenting a united defense, uh, up until almost the seven or eight weeks before trial, when this new evidence of alleged child pornography appeared, so that's just omitted from kind of how the the timeline. I think a lot of things happened with the timeline that weren't presented in the right order, so the viewer doesn't get a sense of how things actually happened and what cause and effects were. I mean, Nancy and all the other people they weren't going to plead guilty until this new evidence came, and her actual charge. Which was allegedly altering a videotape for a civil lawsuit back in 2006 or 7, I believe. Um, there was no evidence presented of even a single videotape that was altered. So I think she had a very strong case and that's not really presented as to her motivations to, you know, take a plea deal or something when you might be facing trial next to an accused, um, child lawsuit, which is a, when your, when your crime is a, a video alteration. So. I think those are like key things that if people knew the details, they would be like, "Oh, just, you know, I don't like these people, maybe, but it doesn't sound something doesn't sound quite right." And I think that's, uh you know, documentaries have a lot of responsibility. I think to present things as objectively as possible. And I don't think that's what happened here.
1: So, okay, if I'm understanding correctly, you did not, yep. you did not know Keith at all. Uh, you were not connected to the uh, the, the, the organization at all prior to the trial and all this. So you were just an uh, average American guy minding your own business. So how after the trial and well, such, how did you get to him and I mean to to take this role that you now have?
0: Sure. So I'll just make one clarification that I you know I was involved in the organization to the extent that I had taken classes and, and things like and, and helped with some classes outside of in New York City. Uh, office or censor for about a year, year and a half before everything shut down. So I did know some of the people. I didn't have, you know, very close relationships with anybody that's now intimate with Keith. I had, I had met him on two occasions, like briefly in passing. Um, but you know, I attended the trial and I think not a lot of people did because it was, you know, it's, the, the government put on like a, a Rico case, which is meant for the mob and anyone who was with any, any, which way affiliated maybe felt they could be targeted or prosecuted. But I was sort of a nobody in the thing as as you, like an uh, ordinary American, as you say. And I just ended up getting to know his attorneys and and reached out to them and said, look, I I, what I think here is there's been a miscarriage of justice and I'd like to help and applied for visitation and whatnot. So uh, it it was actually kind of a a difficult process because, you know, my background is very, very traditional in the box. I'm the first generation American. My family's, uh, you know, we're an Indian family with a strong focus on academics. I went to Harvard, studied math, started my own business, kind of like lived between the four corners of what's traditional in society. And for me to be risking all of that, to be associated with something so extraordinarily nuclear, like it took me weeks and weeks of thinking about it. You know, if I felt there was something wrong, you know, can I... Can I just look away? Can I um, keep building my business or whatever? And I ultimately decided I I wouldn't be able to sleep as well, knowing what I know and seeing what I did see if I didn't try to help. So that's sort of how that happened.
1: And so, you know, with you having such a strong uh, educational background and business background, I would say clean cut. What kind of, uh, (laughs) I mean, what what is, what's going on with your career and your business since you have publicly taken a stance uh, with Keith and this whole uh, scandal? Um,
0: I think, you know, some people who know me, know me and they trust me and they know kind of the type of person I am and and the skills I have and my character. But, you know, inevitably this sort of reputational stuff does create a sink and, I think some people in my network have been affected and maybe don't think as highly of me as they they used to. Um, and I've done, you know, continue to do some um, data science and software consulting. But my primary focus, especially the last two or three years, has been trying to help expose, um, you know, how certain government actors needed to win and how some of the media portrayal has, you know, helps with that. So, you know, my focus for now has been, you know, managing the legal team, the computer forensics team, um, and the building, active building of my business is a little bit on the, on the slower side, but I think, you know, it's an opportunity to do something, uh, in my mind, purposeful and, and good. And so I'm okay making the trade off. I'm still fairly young.
1: Yes, you are. So, uh, you know, the end result, is there a, a, an end result for you? Do you plan on releasing your own documentary or books or, or what?
0: That's a, a great question. I think there's definitely a need for some documentaries around, you know, the trial, what happened, and, and putting some of this stuff into perspective. And really, in my opinion, bringing more of the truth out versus just what sells headlines and sells newspapers. Um, right now, the focus is on getting the evidence out in the court and in the public, which we started to do. We have seven forensics experts who have reviewed the key evidence and, and concluded that it was planted and, and, and fabricated. And so we're really pushing back because that's a bigger issue than just this case. That's an issue of, you know, law enforcement breaking the rules. I think that will create the opening for more documentaries. As far as the book, I would love to write a book. I, you know, I, I have a blog that I maintain semi-regularly, but um, yeah, I think I have such a different perspective than most people, even people who knew Keith and other people for a long time, because I I come to it with such fresh eyes and with not a lot of skin in the game from the beginning. So I think a lot of the, um, I hope the public would would find that, that story um, useful and and fascinating. So.
1: Well, as I said earlier, there are are many people who consider Nexium as a sex cult. Uh, supporters mm-hmm. called it a women's uh, empowerment sorority, mm-hmm. in their opinion. So, it, you know, you had said that you took some classes and, you know, what have you? You had a connection, kind of a distant. Connection with this whole uh, organization, I guess, that's by lack of a better word here. So, you know, knowing what you know about them and knowing what has been revealed, would you have wanted of any female members of your family to be a part of Nexium or, or what?
0: Well, I think, I think, um, if everything that's been "quote unquote" revealed is true, then of course not. <laughs> but my position from going to the trial every single day, reviewing the transcripts, reviewing the evidence, and knowing some of the people involved, um, you know, I I think that it's hard in that atmosphere to even um, question something so horrific, uh, the accusations that are here. But I I don't think that the the public has had a chance to review the facts for themselves. I think there's been so much deletion, so much vitriol, so much stuff that makes your stomach turn and is repulsive. That sometimes that can be a distraction from what's really going on. So I think if people see what really went on, what was set at trial versus what the facts showed, um, what the evidence was and why people made certain decisions, um, I don't think that, uh, it would be seen so horribly and the question wouldn't arise, you know, like, for example, just to give you some specificity, um, one of the accusations in the trial was forced labor. And forced labor is a horrible thing, sweatshops, beatings, things like that, immigrants, underprivileged people. Um, Do you know what it was in this case? Just to give you some why I might think differently than the public, you know? Okay. Uh, Do do you know what it was?
1: No, tell us.
0: Forced labor was um, an affluent uh, adult white woman um, doing about five hours of video transcription work and reviewing 55 essays. Some of which she wrote in her comments that she loved them and would like to read them again. Now, maybe that, maybe she didn't want to read them, maybe she didn't want to read them, but that's not, in my opinion, a 20 year federal sentence. And those are the discrepancies that you start to see where people should start to question, I think, have they been led to believe the truth? You know, I think Me Too and things like that have been a great advancement, um, for bringing out abuses of power and things like that. But I also think whenever you make great progress in one area, you have to make sure to safeguard that the courts and and general information is also truthful and accurate. And I, I think this case will be an example for people in the future of how they were misled, uh, using, manipulating their emotions and things like that, you know? But that's my perspective. I know it's not a a plausible perspective necessarily for the vast majority of people, but I think if people start to look at the fact that child pornography, which was the main reason, the main evidence in the case why the co-defendants pleaded guilty, was extensively fraudulently created. Like, that should be something that's shocking. Um, and that evidence is, you know, these reports are public now. Anyone can see the reports. You don't have any photos, obviously. There's a forensic reports. That's um, that to shock people. That, have I really been told the truth here? If you have to frame a guy for this work, the only underage charge in the case, is this really... Um, you know. That's really what I what I believe. That's a long answer to your question, but I think it needed that context.
1: So you mentioned that you have not um spoken directly with Keith Rainier in over a year, almost a year, within a year I should say. What about Nancy Salzman? Have you heard from her? Do you contact her at all or what?
0: Well, I didn't really know Nancy. I, I met her maybe on two occasions for like five or ten minutes. Um, and then, you know, I thought of her role as president of the company. Um, so no, I didn't have any contact. I, I, I know people who, who, who do know her and knew her well. Um, but no, nothing direct.
1: And what about some of the young ladies who were a part of Nexium? Um, you hear from many of them, their family members? Uh, what has been their stance about you? You know, taking such a kind of a like a Kate Crusader stance about this whole uh, situation. What any any word from any of those ladies?
0: Well, so Nexium wasn't mainly ladies. I mean, that was there was a there was a sorority called DOS that was kind of a a side thing that didn't imbo- that wasn't a, a part of Nexium that had a hundred people in it. Nexium was had you know seventeen thousand students over twenty years of you know all backgrounds, religions uh male female, so it's not it wasn't that, but I didn't know a lot of people in Nexium to be honest. I mean, I was involved for such a short period of time that the vast majority of people I have no idea who they are. They have, they don't know who I am. I would say that some of the people who are most vocal critics of Nexium who are featured in the vow who are um, you know, making the claims that they're making. Um they've said public things about me. They don't know me personally, but so I don't think there's a lot of animosity. I think they've don't uh, like what I'm doing but I haven't had anyone personally reach out or or share anything you know and and what I'm doing is not controversial in a sense I'm not saying you know don't believe them or whatever I'm just saying here's this evidence of government fraud please look at it that's important even if the guy is horrible the devil or whatever which is not my position like look at that evidence that's not that's not okay and if they had to go to such extent to frame somebody you know Maybe maybe what he did, what things were, people wouldn't like, and maybe they wouldn't do it again. But that's not the same thing as the criminal charges that least 120-year sentence. So, you know, I mean, if anyone wants to reach out to me, they, I'm public, they can reach out, but no one has. I think because what I'm doing is not intrinsically controversial or, or offensive to them.
1: And how can people reach out to you?
0: They can reach out to me on Twitter. Um, Twitter, my user handle is, Daniel, S-U-N-E-E-L, uh, Chakra, D-H-A-C-R-A, like, okay. Like your inner chakra, but part of my last name.
1: Okay. And, and you said you have a blog. Tell everybody about your blog.
0: Sure. Um, it's Chakra, my name is Chakravorty, D-H-A-C-R-A-V-O-R-T-Y dot dot com. You can see it in my Twitter profile. Okay. Um, every so often I'll put updates on the case and different findings and things like that, that people who are interested in the case may, may like to hear.
1: Well, I have two last questions here. Okay. Keith has been convicted, as you've mentioned, and everybody knows, 120-year sentence by their Mm -hmm. U.S. government for a lot of horrific crimes here. Mm -hmm. Why would... Why would the government want to? Why, why him? Why, why do you think? You said that there's a lot of conflict and controversy. Why would they want to convict him for this long for such horrendous crimes?
0: Well, I think, I think that, um, there's two parts to that. You know, why, why such a sentence length and why, why, the, why the charges? Mm-hmm. Um, I think based on the, the media scandal, sometimes media can lead to indictments. And in this case, um, you know, the, this was all happening in Albany, and the northern district of Albany, that, that's where the federal district was for them, um, they declined to prosecute. They declined to, they, they. I think in the New York Times article that first came out, the New York State police said, look, this is all consensual stuff between adults. But once that article came out, there was a little bit more public pressure, and then there was more media attention. And This was at the height of Me Too, so there's no, you know, that that was the, national response of outrage to any such allegation and these allegations were horrible, like you say. At least to some charges, I mean, of sex trafficking and things like that. And you know, I think prosecutors have a motivation sometimes to to get a big target because they want to make an example and they have a limited, you know, budget to to do these things. And once they got this and they saw that, look, there's some maybe some socially weird alternative stuff but not hard crimes the way they thought um what do you do when you you have the national attention do you say look we were wrong that's something that a lot of prosecutors have seen are are willing to do so instead you win at all costs and i think we've seen that in many other cases in the past and unfortunately we still see that to the state so i think that's what may maybe part of the why, why of the motivation um everyone who's been involved in the prosecution. You know, went on to big promotions within the Department of Justice, private practice, taking jobs and things like that. So the normal human motivation for doing things, I think, just on a very extreme scale. And the sentence lines 120 years for no violence, no aggressive violence or anything like that, no weapons, no drugs, not even sexual, uh, anything from the defendant himself. That should raise eyebrows. That's a, sometimes 120 years, that's like a signal that, you know, it makes, it completes the, the narrative. You know, he's such a horrible guy. How could it be, you know, how could it be anything that's not horrible?
1: And I want to also note that uh Keith was convicted of a long list here, but among, on that list, sex trafficking, racketeering, conspiracy, among other crimes. So this is my final question, Sunil. So uh, again, I want to go back to, you know, you, here you are, you're, Ivy League educated, your technology business owner, Um sure. you said, I mean, there doesn't seem, unless I don't know, but there doesn't seem any financial gain in this for you. Um, And, you know, you're a smart guy. Why take on and be spokesperson for this type of a trial, this former trial and scandal? I mean, there are so many other Wonderful things that you could be doing with your time. Why this?
0: Well, I think I think the truth matters, mm-hmm. and I think that that truth was not upheld in this case, nor justice. And um, that's very important to me as as an American, as a first generation American. I was brought up to really love this country and be grateful to be here. And you know what's happened here is really wrong. And I think the public it's really calcified that there's this narrative of horrible abuse, which if any of it were true, and I I can walk anyone through the facts of the case very quickly, you know, it would take longer than what we have. They would see that not only are the charges absurd, but there's little to no evidence to back any of them. Um, which is hard for people to believe. Um, you know, it's to me it's really, really concerning that this can happen and it troubles me. It troubles me so much that I'm willing to put all of that great stuff you set aside for the time being and a risk at all because proof does matter. And I don't know how, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of things in in the media last years about wrongful convictions and things like that, but the buck has to stop somewhere and it could stop here, you know, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll wait for another case maybe decades from now when I have a little more money and I'm all more successful or whatever, but this is the, this is the best case. There's no violence. You've got a really hated guy, a really hated white guy with really gross sexual accusations, if justice can be done here and if truth can prevail here, it will prevail in everywhere else. You know, this is the hardest case for that. So that's part of my motivation. And I think from the outside, maybe it seems very strange and hard to understand or accept or believe, but, you know, I'm not doing it for for that.
1: Well, I will agree with you on that. It does, from the outside looking in, it does seem quite strange. Um, but so it really does. But what is? No, your... I,
0: I know. I really know. You really? I think, I'm sure. I think if you...
1: Sorry. Because I'm sure you probably really do. What is your immediate family? What have they thought about you doing this?
0: Um, they're extremely supportive. I mean, they know who I am. They mm-hmm. they raised me to be somebody who cares for what's right. Even if it comes at an extraordinary cost. And, you know, I'm a sane, rational person. I, I'm kind to people. I, you know, don't hurt people, anything like that. Never done anything like that in my entire life. So I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not doing it now that I started this. So, um, I think they, they feel, I think they feel proud. I feel, I think they feel concerned for me because it does put my reputation at risk and it does, um, It does cause me unwanted pain. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of love. I mean, we have a very close family, Mm um, very supportive of each other, always growing up and now. And, um, yeah, it's such a, such a rock to have when it's a difficult journey.
1: I forgot to ask you at the top of the chat uh, regarding the HBO series. Did you Have you ever reached out to the directors, producers, and such to let them know that you're not exactly in agreement with, with their series and certain scenes or certain episodes or, or, or anything like that?
0: Oh, they, they know. They know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in the second season um, uh, for a little bit, um, albeit without a biography and without much context. Um, just, uh, talking head for a moment. But yeah, they, they, they know it's, it's my position. And, you know, I, I think that right at this point, it's too, too much for them to accept. They may have made a completely, uh, the portrayal of, of something. I mean, they were misled too, I believe. And sometimes when you go, it's a runaway train sometimes with these things.
1: What did Keith think of the series, the HBO series?
0: Well, he's not been able to see it because I don't think they have it in in prison at all. But from what he's heard, I mean, he's not, uh, you know, he doesn't think it's accurate or correct at all. And, you know, definitely risks the safety inside based on the notoriety that that stuff brings.
1: Yeah, I did read where uh, there was an incident when he was in in a fight or something of several, I think it was last year, I believe. Well, Sunil, this has been a very interesting conversation and I thank you for uh sharing, you know, your perspective about the whole uh I, I just don't just kinda of speechless, uh, the whole Nexium case here. So uh where do you go next with this?
0: Um uh, next is so this evidence of, of uh FBI government tampering, that's the focus to to expose that fully and, and get a a hearing on it and, and get the public attention on it. And then from there, you know, piece by piece, let, let the truth come out. Um, so I, I think if you're speechless now, you'll be speechless uh, again soon. And I, I really appreciate you giving me the space to have an honest conversation about something that's controversial and hard and, and difficult, you know.
1: One last thing here. Have you found any public support from viewers or? former members or any kind of public support of what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially on, on um, Twitter and things like that, as more things have come out about FBI malfeasance and things, there's many, many people who have seen the evidence that we have that, that's been put out there that are very supportive. Um, maybe not the mainstream yet, maybe not the people who watch the bow. But yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of, I mean, we have um, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, even even someone like the exoneree um, of the Central Park Five, Dr. Salam, you know, he's very supportive and had, had come out publicly saying this needs to be looked at. Um, and as far as people involved in the scheme, I mean, because of the fallaciousness, few were willing to publicly take a stand the way that, that some of us have been able to or have been willing to. So there's, you know, dozens and dozens of people who are still very supportive and, and, and believe in what we're doing and think it's... The truth will come out, and then there's you know many more people beyond that that I have no contact with that I'm sure um, know that what's being presented is not close to accurate. So um, I think I think this will be a, a interesting interesting situation to, as things unfold over the next months and years.
1: Well, I'm going to continue to follow it uh, to see just where this all leads to, and I. You know, I, it's, it's quite fascinating, I should say. The, the HBO series was, as well as your conversation with you and um, the research that I've done in preparation of chat with you is quite uh, is quite interesting, is all I can say. So thank you again so much, Sunil, for chatting with me, and maybe we can do a follow-up uh, later on this summer or later this year.
0: Sounds great. Thank you so
1: much, Anna. Okay, take care then. Bye-bye. Bye.